Simon. Good morning. Good afternoon. Hey, Bill. How are you? Good, Mario. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Scott, is your mic working? Yeah, man. You didn't even say hi to me. It was like, yeah, I know. I saw you. It yeah, was. I felt very triggered. It was so adorable. You unmuted to say hi back, and I saw it. I noticed it. Like, and then you went quiet and muted again. Like, yes. Hi, Simon. Hey. <laughs> hi, Bill. Good to see you guys. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I thought you were gonna. I guess it is five minutes late. Hey, yeah, I thought you were gonna be five minutes late. Yeah, I'm on the. I'm on the. I'm on the move. Uh, Ran. Uh, who's Ran? I see a guy requesting. Is it Ran Uner? Is that him? Yeah, I think. Oh, there he is. I think it's Nan Runer. <laughs> Nan Runer, yeah, yeah. I think he's coming. He's a. He's been an, an, a guest, but he's always busy. He's going to Solana event, Polygon event, Cardano event. How's How's there, a Cardano? If Fran's not at an event, then there is no. It is not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a bear market. The bull market is over. I think he's still connecting. How's uh, actually? I'll ask Rand that question. I'm curious about Cardano. A few people have been mentioning it to me in the last 24 hours for some reason. Uh, with different, I, know, but different I think it's up. I mean, everything is kind of no, up. not not as a, not as a price, more as the ecosystem. But um, oh, like they actually care? <laughs> no, bro, no. Okay, we can't keep making enemies like this. We have to. We're not gonna get guests enemies. Anymore. Okay, I think Charles is wonderful. Incredible, yeah. He's a really cool guy. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll uh, I'll let you kick off the show. I know it's a Fed Fed discussion today. It's uh, it's something you geek out over. Oh, uh, 99, 99% of, 99% of people thought it was going to stay the same. Oh, shit, it's the same. <laughs> it's so exciting. Yeah, I, I'm very excited, though, that we did not, that we learned our lesson in previous attempts to do FOMC spaces, even though they get big numbers, like to, that we didn't reschedule and do it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We still had our show here, and uh, I'm glad we chose that uh, consistency because yeah. FOMC is just a nothing burger, right? Like, I, I'm sorry, I can't get... Uh, passionately wound up about whether Jerome Powell's going to sneeze in the wrong direction or if he blinks his eye to the left instead of to the right, that markets are going to get rocked. I think the very fact that we have to like watch his facial expressions to determine what the global economy is going to do should just be the biggest signal we have about how utterly broken and absurd the entire system is. You want to know something funny? Um, first, I was going to say the complete opposite. I'm, I'm really pissed off. Me and Romy are really pissed off. We didn't do it yesterday, but I, I was exhausted. I collapsed. That's fine. So, That's so, literally why I'm happy about it. So <laughs> okay. Yeah. On the second thing, so I know I keep like, you know, mentioning the war here and there because I'm covering it all the time, but there's like a big speech tomorrow. Everyone's waiting for it. People casting their flights by a group that could declare war on Israel tomorrow. So I know it's like completely unrelated, but everyone's going to be watching it. We're going to be streaming it live. And they, he, he, it's, you think the FOMC is bad? No joke. He's dropping teasers as to like him walking past a painting, him writing a, some something in Arabic on like a book and driving all these teasers. And then people are just analyzing them, trying to figure out. And they're not analyzing if he's going to put interest rates up or down. We're analyzing if he's going to declare war and people are going to die. And he's dropping all these little trailers like it's a Hollywood movie coming up. So when you compare the, the world is so broken, man, if you compare the FOMC to this stuff, the FOMC seems like child's play. Seems like, hey, you know, it's not that bad. It's not good. I mean, we used to we used to mock we we used to we used to make jokes about Justin Sun making announcements of announcements when uh, life was easier and the and you know we were living in the simple bull runs of crypto. Goodness. Now, yeah, everything is theater. It's really crazy. Good days. Really we should do. Crazy. We should do a trailer. We should do like a little trailer for the Crypto Town Hall. It's like you looking up on the sky. What does that mean? Mario looking at some coin that looks like some 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 weird dog breed. What coin is he talking about? <laughs> crypto Town Hall season yeah. two coming you soon. Wink, you wink into the distance, and then it shows like a Bitcoin chart like dumping really hard, and then yeah, I think and then be a great and story. then a bull talking to a horse. Is it a bull market? Is it a bear market? Anyway, bro, it's I think, a horse. I think, yeah, horse <laughs> I think you should kick off the show with ruining it the rare bull horse uh, maybe i mean listen but yeah let's kick it off maybe we should actually we've got some great uh great guests today obviously peter good to see you man it's been a while peter cheer we we used to talk a lot on youtube i hope all is well maybe maybe we can let peter give us some broad strokes on what happened with fomc and the macro yesterday since somebody has to do it please us. peter tell us about his body language i see you guys eye decided, movements. I, see, I see you guys have decided to add me thank you so much guys i'm <laughs> yeah, trying trying, yeah, really i really i really appreciate it, it. Uh, <laughs> me too i can't tell I, you how much i appreciate it i felt we, we um, spent the last 10 minutes saying amazing things about yeah you, yeah i'm glad you're here <laughs> we're, we're I was talking to everything. I was trying to get added to the, to my own spaces. 
Thank you guys. No, much appreciated. I was, I was so feeling so bad. I was feeling so bad, Scott, because we just met like we made fun of his name or something. Like who's ran? And then we can't add him. It's glitching. I literally took a screenshot. Yesterday, I took a screenshot. Hold on, I took it. Yesterday, no, yesterday, no, I didn't. That was just, I told you not to make jokes like this, Scott. Look, man, I even took a screenshot now. I swear to you, Scott, I took a screenshot of him glitching in case he gives me shit after. I was like, look, Ryan, you were glitching. I tried, and there's a screenshot to prove it. So it just said connect. It just said connecting. Like yeah, same. Spinning pinwheel. I've got a screenshot. Look, I just want to thank you guys for adding me. That's, that's what I can say. <laughs> thank you guys for allowing me to be here. Thank you guys for allowing me to be here. You're welcome. So, should we talk FOMC uh, and get it out of the way? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, uh, well, Peter, we're gonna we're I gonna mean, go with Ryan, Peter. Nothing, Ryan, please, you're the, the guest of honor. There's, there's seriously nothing to talk about. I mean, what do you want to talk about the FOMC? Nothing happened. Literally, nothing happened. But markets are jumping. I mean, at least as of this morning, I saw that uh, you know stocks were largely up. Yields were kind of crashing. My TLT long is printing money. Um, do you think that the fact that he kind of said nothing, everyone expected him to say nothing, nothing changed is once again giving some sort of renewed confidence or is it just markets being markets? I mean, I what do you think, I don't, I don't think it's got anything to do with the FOMC. I think it's just yeah. cycles. I don't think, I think everyone got exactly what they expected this FOMC. There was zero news. It was like, it was just a waste of everyone's time, to be honest. I, I, actually, I, actually, I actually even think that it was a waste of Powell's time. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. What did you say, Ryan? I think it may have been a waste of Powell's time to do an FOMC yesterday. He could have probably gone for dinner with his wife or something. I mean, we didn't oh, need okay. it. He, he said nothing. He said nothing. I wish all FOMC meetings are like this. That will make our life a lot easier. Yeah, let's go to it. You want to go to Peter, Scott? Yeah, Peter. Can you can you hear us? I noticed that he hadn't unmuted when we asked last time, so yeah, we'll, uh, perhaps we'll drop him. We'll drop him. Bring him up. I'll do it now. Uh, Peter, we can't hear you. So we're going to Sam. How about Sam? What do you, Sam? What do you got for us? Any thoughts on the FOMC? <clears throat> Just in general, I guess on the on the macro picture, FOMC being context. But I mean, I can give some more context. Where obviously we we've seen the FOMC kind of pass by. But we are seeing, you know, global M2 starting to rise, even as it's falling in the United States. Japan announcing $113 billion, I believe, in stimulus today, which, by the way, they said was to reduce inflation, which is just laughable. Just kind of giving us the macro picture in general, if you have any thoughts. Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, the macro stars are aligning for a BTC bull run. Um, we saw just yesterday the head of macro at Fidelity, he actually sent out a really good tweet thread where he described Bitcoin as exponential gold which we always hear to refer to as digital gold, but I feel like exponential gold is a much better way of describing it because it has a lot of the properties of gold, but with um, way more growth potential. So we also liken it to um, the decade facing us. He likened it to the 1970s and the 2000s, where, of course, we saw a huge run-up in gold because of macroeconomic conditions. I mean, you have the Bitcoin ETF on the horizon, but in addition to that, you have this really precarious macroeconomic condition um, where we are, I think a lot of people, especially in Bitcoin world, would agree we're on the verge, really the precipice of um, what seems to be a fiat crisis. And I think Japan's money print is just the latest example of that. And with the FOMC meeting yesterday, I mean, we know that, that rates are high. The question is, will the Fed really be able to lower rates without um, shooting ourselves in the foot even more? So, that's kind of my viewpoint on the whole on um, the next year or two is that really the stars are aligning and i think it was just shared there yeah that's the yeah i shared it above exactly urian timmer from fidelity head of uh, global macro i believe is his title i've had him on the show a number of times we actually had him on spaces in the early days he's one of the really great macro thinkers i think that understands bitcoin and i think that's a reflection of fidelity's understanding and abby johnson herself that they really have been in this space mining since 2014 or 15. I mean, people don't realize, I think, how all in Fidelity has been from the very beginning. And these threads, I think, just give great confidence to the market, but also to other institutions that are considering jumping in. Bill, go ahead. Hey, good morning. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, the way I look at it is the Fed is a semi-private public corporation, right? And they're, they're supposed to go make quarterly statements about what's going on. 
with the company within the Fed. And, you know, they're, they're hiding the reality. So to Ron's point, they didn't say much, but there's a lot to say, right? Where, where's the discussion about the bank balance sheets? Where's the discussion about the amount of debt that's going to have to be printed? Where's, you know, where's, where's the discussion about what's happening in, in Japan? Um, where, where's the discussion about the depletion of the repo position? So anyway, it, it's, you know, maybe they didn't say a lot, but in my opinion, they're obliged to, and they're just basically swipe, sweeping it all under the rug. It was more interesting listening to Ron and his trader sound like Beavis and Butthead talking over him in the background than it was listening to Powell, who basically just ignored, completely ignored the reality, which is what he's been doing basically for a year. Were you watching? Were you watching my stream yesterday? So I couldn't find the FOMC link, and I was really busy working on something important. And I saw your stream on Twitter, so I clicked on that, and I said, "Oh, I'll just watch it here through Ron's show." And and I said, "Who is this talking over?" over Powell. And it, it was literally like watching Beavis and Butthead because you guys were infinitely more entertaining than he was. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, I, we, aim to, we, we aim to entertain and Powell was really boring us last night. But yeah. it was like, he, he literally, and, and you know, I knew that I'd made a mistake going live when I saw the, when the, when the interest rate decision came out and they published the, the, the pack. And I could see that there was no variations to the previous pack or there was minor variations and i just thought this was going to be the most boring fomc in history and i think this whole bank thing is going to sneak up on us as if as if nothing is wrong and then all of a sudden it's going to be three x worse than what happened back in march and everybody's going to be looking around each other going how did we miss this and you know he's not going to have an answer because he knew it the whole time so what's he going to say yeah i knew it the whole time but i couldn't talk about it because i didn't want to do what warren did which is facilitate a bank run Right. So, you know what, you know, what worries me here? You, you know, what worries me? I think that you're a hundred percent right. And I, you're not the only person in the world that, that, that's saying that something is broken or something is going to break, or there is a lot broken, but maybe the Fed is trying to hide the fact that they're broken. I think that there's a lot of people that are of exactly, exactly, exactly the same opinion. The problem is that the only time that the Fed's going to start reducing rates is they're going to start reducing rates when the, um, when something when something breaks and when something breaks i think that all risk assets are going to go um are, are going to go down a lot because you know like you don't even have to there's guess. a lot of ways yeah. to increase liquidity in the system besides reducing rates and that's where the the gamesmanship comes in i mean look at japan yield curve control which i think is probably what's going to happen here because nobody wants to buy our worthless debt anymore which is something that they can't hide so they're just simply going to have to buy the debt um, when we have to start remonetizing the, 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 the debt over the next 18 months and they realize, hey, uh, this is a new game because no one wants our dog shit, right? And, and so it's coming here as well. So I don't think the rates are the key point here. I think the, 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 the key points here are the public has no clue, right? Liquidity is going to be massive. And I think crypto and certain tech stocks are going to be massive winners here, probably real estate as well. Yeah. Rand, you don't even need to guess. You can just look at past cycles. Uh, we talk about it here all the time, but it bears remembering for all the people who cheer the, the Fed pivot is that you get an uninversion, generally a normalization of the yield curve, which, by the way, usually happens because they're cutting the short end, not because simply one, they're both going up, but one is going up less. So this is even worse. But you usually get an uninversion of the yield curve or normalization. Then you get a Fed pivot when something breaks, like you said, and then the stock market massively corrects and takes a long time to return to those levels. I mean, it, it, it's happened effectively. But every all, time roads, in all roads point to a risk asset massive correction. In other words, what you're saying yes. is for as long as the, the, the Fed is raising rates, you know the next point is going to be a massive risk asset correction because that's what history has told us every single time. And that's bloody scary for me. So isn't the question whether Bitcoin is one of them? Well, Bitcoin yeah, will definitely it, be a risk asset. Even, you know, like you think about COVID, in the beginning of COVID, when, when people went risk off, that also meant risk off gold. And I think that the same thing happened in 20, in 2000 and in the housing collapse, 2008. I think that the, the first reaction was it was risk off everything and it was just into cash. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, historically, anytime there's a black swan or major downside event, all correlations temporarily go to one. But the story to me, you know, that that's the first half of the story. We all know that Bitcoin bottomed, you know, March 12th, 2020, 
was Black Thursday, whatever we called it at the time, went under 4,000. But really quickly, Mario, I think that the real story there is not that it crashed and that the stock market bottomed 10, 10 days later, but that Bitcoin went up 17x from there while the stock market doubled. So where do you want to be if that does happen? No, but, but before before you go down the, 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 the stock market versus crypto, gold, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but gold didn't do badly in 2020 during COVID. Am I, am I the, the only beginning, one that got, In that the beginning, when, when, when the shit hits the fans, when the shit hits the fans, everything goes down. And I'll, I'll quickly, I'll actually read you the, the numbers. I'm going to get it in front of me. So when, when we had the COVID pandemic, it was, it was what, March 2020? Yeah, Mario, it was, uh, the stock market bottomed, bottomed like the 22nd or 23rd. Uh, Bitcoin was about the 12th. Okay, so let me just quickly get you the, let me get you the, here we go. So gold went down to, oh, sorry. Uh, gold went down from where it was before, which was 1,690. It went down to 1,451. So it went down about 10%. And then what happened afterwards? Like a massive. Well, then, then, then of course, everything. Then it was the everything bubble because then they just started printing money. Right, but so it, you're saying to, even... to my point before, Mario. I mean, listen, gold's at two thousand now, it topped almost twenty one hundred. He's saying it bottomed at fourteen something. That's not even a fifty percent move, roughly, when Bitcoin's doing a seventeen x. So you want to talk about exponential gold and what Yuri and Timmer from Fidelity said? There's your example. That's that's my point. Is even if everything dumps. Where do you want to be after that happens? The thing that uh, pulls a 17x, the thing that pulls a 50% move, or the thing that doubles? But is there any chance, and maybe you go to Paul, Peter, is there any chance that Bitcoin does not follow the rest of the risk assets? Maybe the rest it's of crypto does, but Bitcoin. It's not now. Paul. Could it be? Could, it, could, that, could that continue throughout the correction that we, we're, we're talking about, yeah. Paul? Well, Ma Mario, when things break, Mario, when things break, when, when things break, the first thing is people going to cash. And that means they get caught out of everything. So it's, 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 I mean, Unless cash so is breaking too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like the whole, the whole discussion is about cash breaking and Bitcoin acting as a hedge for that. Like what about when cash itself breaks? Then yeah, what? The one point I wanted to make, thanks for bringing me up, Scott, is the, uh, uh, the yesterday, the press conference. And I don't know if you guys covered this, the BTFP. So that's the, uh, the facility that banks are able to post collateral and get, you know, the 100% on the dollar for for bonds and other assets. A uh, reporter asked him, like, are you guys going to extend this? And Powell's response was basically, he's saying, like, it's November 1st. You know, that may be a decision that we, you know, decide in the future. But he just, it was like a total punt. And I'm just like, that is pretty critical when you talk about something breaking. Like, I think that's where people are focused on banks. Banks have all these assets that, Maybe you know that that have that they have marked at 100 cents on the dollar. They may be worth you know 75, 85 cents on the dollar. That's not something that a bank can keep going for a long time. You say talk about cash, like eventually they need to be matched. Uh, you know, like to 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 to, yeah. to have good coverage, and they don't. And I think that's something that the BTFP was something that was put in there for people don't know for Silicon Valley Bank and Signature and all those uh, in March. It had a twelve-month uh, timeline or a 12, 12 month term on it. We're, you know, we're, we're less than six months away now, and you know, it's not like there, there was a there was like a mini crisis there. They put this facility to kind of protect banks in the short term. They gave it a year, and now they're not giving any indication of what they're going to do with it. And Paul, rates have only got well. First of all, they'll continue it, but but rates rates have only continued to go up from there. Scott, like, Scott, the situation he, has objectively gotten Scott, worse. For if he responds to the question per Paul's comments, then he has to address the fact that wait, hey, why why might we need to continue this? Which is well, there's probably more banks that are going to face a massive liquidity crisis, and we can't discuss that. That that's there's zombies. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, well, and and the one thing that you, you kind of got to go back to like the late. 80s, early 90s, when they had the SNL crisis, this was maybe something similar. Like large banks, you know, I don't think there's going to be any issues there. But small banks, you know, this is similar to the SNL. There were all these small thrifts and savings and loans. They essentially went in and took all the assets and had this thing called the uh, RTC, uh, Resolution Trust Corporation, lasted for from 89 to probably like 96, 97. And they slowly sold the assets off in uh, in bulk sales and securitizations. Uh, so the 
government gave a facility to kind of hold the assets and kind of drip them out over time. So not a, you know, like pseudo zombie, I guess, or kind of like short term zombie, but they, you know, there needs to be something, you know, potentially like that. Like you can't just have these banks underwater, have assets underwater for, for years. Uh, you look at the Japanese stock market, like from the 1980s to, you know, maybe just, just recently, like it, it went sideways for 30 years. Uh, 40 years, uh, for, I mean, 35 years probably. Uh, so that's kind of something that, you know, that's probably in their back pocket. And some people think about, hey, we got to like clear out all these banks. Uh, the FDIC doesn't have enough to to, to, to deal with the, like, to, you know, the, to cover all the deposits and consolidate all these things. But, the you know, I think ultimately that could be something that they resolve some of these issues. Gus, can somebody here, do, Can somebody right, so like Scott, Scott wants to go to Peter, but he was too too nice to interrupt Ryan. He's like Peter, Peter, go. <laughs> Peter, no, jump off. Peter, Peter, you go, and then, and, then I, and then I have a very. I've just seen an article which I want to ask a question about, but you go, Peter. Yeah, I think you're very overstating the risk of that bank facility. It was never very well taken up. Basically, it allowed banks to yes post at par, but they got current market funding. So basically, they were swapping if they had to um, bank deposit funding for much higher Fed fund. Funding, it very little got taken up. It wasn't that necessary. Two, the average bank tends to own far less than five-year duration, right? Silicon Valley Bank was fairly unique in that they bought all these 10-year treasuries. So you roll down the curve, that offsets a lot of the pain from higher yields. So I, I think that's a relatively de minimis problem. Banks were actually able to hang on to their deposits much more. It's a little bit shocking, but you talk to a lot of small corporations. They have $10, $15 million in a bank account, and they have to keep it there because it's too painful for them to move money in and out um, when they have to make payroll, when they have to do those things. So I was surprised by how much was able to stay in the banks. I think that's a kind of, you know, a nothing burger, that facility, whether it stays or goes. It's not really that impactful. The banks that were in the most trouble have been slowly working their way out of it. Those Many weren't in trouble. Many did not follow the Silicon Valley Bank. I think that's one thing we learned is there were relatively few banks that took on a lot of duration risk. It's out there. It bleeds in over time. The roll down the curve is helpful. So I am definitely not particularly worried about that. I think it's slowing down. I think you're seeing a shift into private credit. So that's slowly hurting the economy. But I don't think it's going to be this big gasp of bank failures. It's just going to be that they don't lend much anymore. It pushes people to private credit, which is raising the cost of funds, particularly for small and mid-sized companies. So I think that's a drag on the economy. But I don't see this being a big shock factor. Is there, like, just before we go to Rand, just one quick question on the banks. Like, why are the banks even a worry with the Fed discount window? Peter? I don't think they are. I think that that facility was very much, I think it was a poorly designed facility because it didn't do much. It sounded good. There were a lot of instructions going out to economists to really push how great this facility was, make sure it was a backstop. I think it was as much for show. It did nothing compared to what they did post-COVID where they bought ETFs and things like this. This was a facility for the desperate people didn't really want to use it and those that needed to will access um the discount window which is much more manageable right you can use the discount window you can pay it back when you want so i think they already have enough facilities in place and again this wasn't that exciting a facility it didn't get great take up and there's but, so said, but, even if, but peter even if they didn't use it just the fact that it's there is enough to stabilize the system put everyone at ease it's just to avoid the fear that everyone had back in march yes, so it's not about and- using it it's about just it's there if we ever need it it's there so right, and, and I think if we do said. need it. Why didn't Powell say what you said? Because I think Powell, you know, I think he was a bit surprised by the question because it's kind of not been on anyone's radar screen when we have discussions. Um, so I'm sure they'll come back and address it a bit more. I think if they need it, they'll re-extend it. They, the one thing the Fed has learned and the Treasury Department, especially under Yellen, is you cannot let the banking you know, system have a problem. As soon as the banking system has a major problem, it floods to the rest of the market. So they will act faster, stronger, more aggressively than they ever did during the great financial crisis. I think that was the message we were supposed to take away from what happened in March of this year. And so I would not worry about their willingness to step up and do something again. Now, as we near the election, if we have a change of administration, that might be different. 
So since you're Peter, since Randon and I'm mute, I'll ask you one more question. Um, the, the the how about the geopolitical situation? We talked about Ukraine and inflation before, but now there's the risk. And I was reading a few articles earlier today. The risk of the the conflict in 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 the Middle East becoming a regional conflict. Does that worry you at all? Is that even on, on anyone's radar as a potential risk in terms of inflation? Because we we know we're barely keeping up with Ukraine um, and all the printing that we've had. If you add another. Another conflict, um, you know, food prices, oil prices will take a hit again. Yeah, that's actually a major concern. And I don't know, my day job, I work with Academy Security. So we work with 16 retired generals and admirals. So we've been very focused on what's going on there. We are concerned, you know, how this is going to play out with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We believe a lot of this was meant to disrupt the progress made towards the Abraham Accords. Mm -hmm. um, the, the king and the leadership of the Saudis was pushing towards the Abraham Accord. It was not a particularly popular policy decision within Saudi Arabia. So I think as this ground war, you know, drags on, and we estimate it's going to be two to four months for Israel to accomplish what they need to do with Hamas, there will be civilian casualties. I think the risk is that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia pushes more, uh, leans away from the Abraham Accord, which I think would be bad for oil prices, energy prices. We do think there's a risk that's does something, I would say, no Tomorrow. one can prove it, but the estimate is Iran's involved in pushing, pulling the strings, so watch for escalation. So I don't think escalation's priced in at all. And I am mm. starting to hear from some corporations, they're actually experiencing some supply chain issues from things that are made in Israel, and it's starting to affect some biotech and tech companies a little bit whose employees are in Israel. So I think there is a much higher shock risk to what's going on there than it's priced into the market right now. I, th I think so. Sorry. I just mentioned one quick thing there, and obviously because I'm covering it so heavily. I think none of it has been priced in. People I talk to, there's a lot of people asking questions, but I think none of it has been priced into the markets. Why? Because it's still really limited to, 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 to Gaza. Um, obviously heartbreaking from a humanitarian perspective, but from an economic perspective, not really that uh, that big of a deal. Now, when it comes to the normalization between Israel and Saudi, um, it's not as shaky as we would have expected it to be. There's been some statements made from Saudi that they're, you know, they're willing to proceed with it as soon as things ease up. And behind the scenes, when you talk to people, it's going to proceed. The only thing I'll say, move on from this and go back to crypto and, and Rand give you the mic, is uh, tomorrow is a very important day. Now, I forget that no one is as deep into this as I am, but tomorrow is a very important day. If Hezbollah, and you mentioned it, uh, uh, Peter, if Hezbollah joins, uh, this is essentially a regional conflict now. You've got someone that's 10 times bigger than Hamas in the war. You've got the, Iran's biggest proxy in the war, and the U.S. will almost certainly be involved as well through their warships. Now, why is that important to our discussion? We talk about crypto. Well, that will impact inflation. If this becomes a regional conflict, inflation will take a hit, and obviously the, the, the Fed decision will be impacted accordingly, and, and crypto will be impacted. So there is an impact in crypto. I think we're not taking into consideration, and I think we should. Mario, uh, Ryan, Mario I'm, I'm actually, I haven't been listening to spaces because obviously I've been here at the, at the DevCon, but I'm very interested to understand Yemen like is Yemen in the war now officially or is it a is it a small radical group of, of Yemenites it's the group that essentially controls I mean, the Houthis that are backed by Iran that are in the war, but they're pretty irrelevant. They've got a few ballistic missiles and stuff. They've sent them towards Israel, but they're pretty irrelevant. Not that big of a Don't deal. They have a squad of um, and they said, Don't they have a squad of MiGs? Yeah, but they haven't. There's a warship not far from them, and there is a, a, there is the the defense system, the air defense system that Israel has, makes them pretty irrelevant. But probably the, much bigger than Hamas, that's for sure. But then they won't change the calculation at all. The only thing that with the only the only group that will change things in the Middle East is Hezbollah, and then the next one will be Iran. That's how it is. Hezbollah's is. In brief, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Uh, uh, Lebanon time, they're based in Lebanon. 2 p.m. Lebanon time, the, the, it's the weirdest thing. Me and Scott were laughing about it earlier, uh, but it's actually pretty serious. At 2 p.m. Lebanon time, the guy is giving a speech. Hezbollah is giving a speech. In that speech, everyone's expecting to get either hints or him directly saying whether he's entering the war. Um, what makes it concerning is that he's put out – it's the stupidest thing. He's put out a bunch of teasers. No fucking joke. He put out teasers uh, to try to hint at what he's going to say in the speech, like him walking the past the painting with his logo, this group's logo. Everyone's like, that means marching on. They're marching to the war. Or another one, like a longer trailer with a whole bunch of clips and stuff. And the trailers and the statements made so far by him and his son – point to likely escalation. And then you've got Iran saying that if this doesn't stop, things are going to be escalating. You've got Iraqi groups just said about an hour ago, they're on high alert now, the Iraqi proxies of Iran, they're on high alert now because they're expecting unexpected, they're preparing for unexpected events to occur. Um, and then lastly, you've got, uh, uh, I've got, I've had sources, I broke the story yesterday, 
that they've put out a warning to the U.S. that if the war, there's no ceasefire by tomorrow, Hezbollah will be joining the war. Um, now, that's unofficial. That's behind the scenes. But I've I had enough sources that I've posted it out. So if Hezbollah joins the war, why does it matter for anyone? Why does it matter for everyone's bags here in crypto, as I said earlier? It, it, this is a red line that gets me really concerned. Um, again, talk purely from a financial and strategic perspective, um, it's, it's, it's a regional conflict. You've got Iran directly involved. Israel's made the threat that if, Iran, if Hezbollah joins, if Iran's proxies join, they'll consider Iran directly joining and they'll hit Iran directly. I don't think they will. Um, but it, it becomes, and you've got, you know, to make matters even more concerning, I think none of this is being considered. I think this, if, if this happens tomorrow, we're going to be talking about this a lot more because just yesterday, we've had a, a lot of uh, military activity, a Chinese military activity getting closer to Taiwan. Again, not on anyone's radar um, and everyone forgot about Ukraine as well, which is ongoing. So there's a lot happening, but uh, I don't want to be yeah. fear-mongering, but that's just facts. Yeah, can I, uh, Mario, you're, you're 100%. Uh, uh, yeah, Peter, Simon, go ahead, guys. Yeah. I think the one thing people aren't talking about enough is Iran is probably selling 2.3 to 2.5 million barrels a day. I've heard the number as high as 3 million. That's despite sanctions. We have turned basically a blind eye to sanctions in our desperate effort to keep oil prices down. I think if this, you know, accelerates in terms of, you know, escalates in terms of the war, we will not be able to do that. So I think that would be a huge supply disruption, right? That everyone's kind of been wink, wink, letting Iran sell this oil to China predominantly while the sanctions are in place. And that is a, you know, issue, if this escalates, we will not be allowed to do that or will not want to do that. So uh, that's a big fear factor. And then you just mentioned China and Taiwan. Um, you've also saw, I think it's Thomas Second Shoal, had no idea what that was, but, um, you know, I believe it's the Philippines. They crashed a ship into a shoal that they keep troops on and they supply it and it's been disputed with China. China used their Coast Guard ships to actually ram into some supply ships to that. So there's a lot going on around the world. And finally, a month ago, the big topic conversation we were having with our clients was about coups in North Africa, how that benefited Russia, to some extent China. No one even cares about those issues now because we've all focused on Israel, but they're real as well. So I think there's a lot of mounting pressure out there on the globe that if this you know, lights that fire, it gets pretty ugly potentially quickly. Simon? Yeah, Mario, I, I do think all of these um, come together into a play. The the you know the western media's desire to um not tell the full story of this and make this a a one-way terror attack on 7th of october i think has led to um the geopolitical um understanding of what escalation means and what this means to the rest of the world not being priced into the market because um i i everything you just said is not really something's being covered in 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 complete mainstream um, and then you've got to think about, well, what's the crypto play? What's the banking play there? Um, you know, we were talking about the, the, the risk in the U.S. banking system. Well, could that be used as a financial weapon of mass destruction um, by these uh, geopolitical plays of, um, you know, people understanding what the weaknesses in the financial system is um, and, and putting together some of these plays in order to weaken um, the situation. I do think this escalates. And the one question we've never um, had an answer to is we don't know what Bitcoin looks like in a global world war. Um, you know, historically, when people don't trust each other's currencies, they look to gold in order to settle and clear with each other and clear each other's debts in the, in the post-reconstruction side as well. Um, does Bitcoin play a role in that? Um, I do believe all of these subjects um, come together if this you know, if, if this is not um, de-escalated right now and everything is pointing towards escalation from what I see. Yeah, um, I'm obviously deep in that world. Um, I only mention it's EU fuels. and I think there's going to be an impact on crypto. Uh, tomorrow, if, look, if there's nothing, nothing happens tomorrow, then we shouldn't discuss this again at all. We should be fine moving forward. I mean, it feels to me like, it feels to me like uh, escalation might be inevitable because Israel probably doesn't have any short-term way out of this. Like they keep talking about this lasting for months. You know, I don't think, I think Israel's made it clear. And I think that if Netanyahu, I think Netanyahu is already not really um, the people's favorite. And I think if he stops this attack before the objective, which he stated of eliminating Hamas, then I think he completely loses popularity and he's potentially out. So I think that the Israelis have got a minimum of, of a number of months left there. And I think that, that you know, if, 
a number of months with the with what's going on right now. I mean, it's almost inevitable that you're going to get some kind of escalation. Yeah, I, I, look, I, if you ask me for someone, people ask me this all the time. Um, do, do I expect escalation? Do I expect escalation? A week ago, my, I was like, you know, 30, 40% this escalates beyond Gaza. Um, uh, that was about, you know, more than a week ago. A few days ago, that went up to 50%. Uh, once I started seeing all these trailers by Hezbollah and starting to see the narrative change, you kind of see these, look at the things on the ground. That's what really, you know, what, what you see, what those politicians say, obviously they just want to say what they, you know, they, they're trying to, impress voters or impress other groups or just play those mind games and confuse their opponents. But it's not movement on the group. Obviously, the U.S. keeps sending more equipment to the area. Uh, you've got uh, evacuation alerts across the board, embassies evacuating. All these things no one talks about because no one notices. And when things blow up, everyone's surprised. These things have been boiling up for a while. It kind of reminds me of when Russia was, uh, it was, was encircling Ukraine with troops. Uh, everyone just ignored it, and then suddenly it became the the, 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 the the one of the biggest events since World War II, biggest conflicts in the in the region. So you've just got embassies emptying out, etc. Um, so it, yeah, it's it's pointing in that direction. If now, if you ask me that question, obviously it, it could change tomorrow. But now I'm leaning above fifty percent that it could escalate beyond uh, this, unless a ceasefire deal. Behind the scenes, obviously this isn't public, and um, I haven't even posted about it. But behind the scenes, there is discussions. No one's talking about it because it doesn't make Israel look good. But there are discussions uh, for a potential ceasefire that the U.S. is leading, U.S. and other nations, Qatar, etc., leading. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, but it's crazy that we're so, talking about. Maria, what, do you, what do you think about the thought that? because there's such a desire to make Israel look good, that that's creating a disparity in pricing that's not factored into the market. It could, it could. From it, what's priced in, what's not, is is obviously what I ask Scott and others about. Like I'm really good at pricing the market, so trying to figure out um, the charts or, or, or what the price should be. So that's my weakness. All I know is I can tell you what's happening on the ground, and I think the public is not pricing in this to be a regional conflict. And I think... Either tomorrow this continues and it's not going to be a regional conflict, which I'm praying for, or I'm not religious, but I'm hoping for, or um, or we're in for uh, uh, for a very very tough time because the U.S. is stretched thin. You got Ukraine, you got now Middle East, um, and then China's obviously eyeing Taiwan. And what we expected over the next few years, because I've covered Taiwan heavily, uh, where China uh, makes a move on Taiwan. Uh, could become sooner considering the U.S. is stretched this thinly. Again, I'm not mongering. Sorry, I think it's all very unlikely, but it's just getting more likely. I'm really, I'm really level-headed guy for anyone that doesn't know. Can we in, and in the case? latest request for funding, was was there a Taiwan budget in in that request, or was it just Ukraine, Israel? Ukraine, uh, no, Ukraine, Israel. Israel. No, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and uh, and the border, the the border wall. And that was initially. I don't know if they changed it now because the focus now the, the everything's about Ukraine and Israel. So I don't know if they removed the border wall and and Taiwan, or it's just not 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 something they're opposing because they're opposing Ukraine and they're supporting Israel. They're the two main ones. Um, but I I know that the border wall and Taiwan were included. But uh, I'll I'll link it to crypto ran. I think you had an article you wanted to ask about. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's the it's probably a move to another topic. Um, I just read this article about the Bank of Japan uh, providing $110 billion in stimulus to reduce inflation. Um, I only I only did three years of economics, so I'm going to plead. I, I did three years of economics and I did a CFA, so I did another three years of economics. So you could say I, did six, I only did six years of economics and I have no idea how that works. And I'm wondering whether anybody on stage or anybody else has any idea how a $110 billion package helps people against inflation. Rand, we are we are we are now to the point where they don't even hide how stupid they think we are. I mean, That's do they the think? Do but they think that just, by giving everybody five hundred dollars to to put more petrol in their car, that's going to fix inflation? Well, they're also going to price fix the petrol, <laughs> um, which is the other part, and and reduce taxes. But this is like, I mean, we just did the what was it the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. You can go on the Treasury website when they describe the Inflation Reduction Act. I looked it up today. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. And it literally says the Inflation Reduction Act, something to this effect, is the largest spending package for environmental protection in the history of the United States. <laughs> the Inflation Reduction Act is a spending package for the environment. Right? But please could you please could you just send me please could you send me that that article? I, I actually have to send yeah, it. Yeah, it's on the US Treasury website. I'm going to send it. I I'm going to I'm going to do it. Now, I'll send it. Come, come on, Rand. Didn't you do didn't you do your inflation module in your in your 3 years? What you do is when people can't afford things, 
you print some more money, you give it to them, and then they can afford stuff. It helps with inflation. Look, I understand it. I understand that when the Democrats do it in California, because you know you don't expect you don't you don't expect the Democrats who run California to be any smarter. But I just don't understand it from like the rest of the world. Like, you know, like if you say to me like California is doing it, then I kind of say, look, I understand it because you know California, the people that run California must be the, the dumbest people in the world. Um, but like I don't understand how how anybody else can think that that, that that's the case. I don't know, wasn't it Stalin or someone who said it's easier to sell the big lie? Man, I'm baffled by this. I see that uh, maybe, Sam's maybe got his hand up. Maybe, Sam, maybe, can... you wanna put, maybe Sam, you want to just talk it if you got your hand up? I think Sam's got his Sam, hand up. Sam, are you up. there? You, there? you got to unmute. Yeah, I yeah, think he's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, Sam. Yeah. Go ahead, Sam. Go, yeah. Yeah, guys, Sam and Simon, go ahead, guys. Great. Yeah, so... Um, just the point that Scott had made earlier about the fact that Japan's trying to pr um, price fix petrol as well. I think that's an aspect of inflation people don't pay enough attention to. We always think of money printing and how that leads to inflation. But there's this whole other dynamic right now with the price of petroleum. And I think it's something we're actually not paying enough attention to here in the United States. So everyone's well familiar with the strategic petroleum reserve. So there's a lot of concern, going back to what Mario was saying earlier about the potential of a regional conflict breaking out in Israel, that would send oil prices surging. And the issue is that we have already depleted so much of our strategic petroleum reserve here in the United States under the Biden administration, that if oil prices were to surge again, we would have very little to tap in that situation to bring prices down. And so you would see energy prices surging at that point, which... Couple that with what we have in our macroeconomic situation with Japan printing money, the potential of the U.S. printing more money. On top of that, you have soaring prices of oil, and it would just lead to even more inflation and even more anxiety across Damn. the global economy, which I Can think— Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, so listen, obviously, you're with Riot Platforms, right? So you know a bit about Bitcoin mining. How would something like that affect the price of Bitcoin mining? So it, what's interesting about Bitcoin mining stocks is essentially it's a levered Bitcoin play. Um, so I think what you were saying earlier, Scott, is, is very relevant. I think uh, in a situation where we do have some sort of global economic shock like we saw during COVID, there would be a dip. But then after that, when people, you know, they retreat to cash, but then they start to think about it more closely, I do think people would fly, they would flee to quality. I mean, it's really interesting that Larry Fink said the other day that Bitcoin in his view, is now a flight to quality. And so I think on the whole, it could increase uh, the price of Bitcoin as people start to see, okay, the dollar is not the refuge I once thought it was. Is there some kind of other asset where I could put my money to that would be a harder money? And that's exactly what Bitcoin is, is it's a harder form of money. And so I think it would be on the whole bullish for both Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining across the world. See, there's also a, geog a geography play in the Bitcoin mining companies, though, because all of the NASDAQ ones are one, almost 100% exposed to US. So whatever happens with electricity, um, whatever additional shocks happen there, uh, because all of the mining companies, from what I can see, they, they didn't geographically diversify on the, the NASDAQ ones anyway. So just quickly on, on Sam, uh, since you, you've gone back to the war, if this, this does become a regional conflict, um, what, what do you expect with the Fed decision moving forward? What do you expect with risk assets moving forward? If it does become a regional conflict, I, it would seem that the Fed would have to cut in that situation. They would have to do something to stimulate the economy. Uh, but then it gets us back in the same but then situation. There's but then there's the issue of inflation. Like I thought, I thought, wouldn't they be forced if inflation picks up because of, the, of another conflict? I don't know. It's a tricky situation. I genuinely don't know. Right. I, I think the Fed would almost find itself in an impossible situation where they would want to cut, but because of inflation, they wouldn't be able to. So I, I would defer more to some of the macroeconomic experts in our group on that point, um, because I really Peter. think Jay Powell would find yeah, I think situation. They, they would ignore the inflation risk at that point, and they would have to you know, somehow make sure there was liquidity. Maybe they announced that they do a pause in their um, quantitative tightening, something, but they would ignore the inflation aspects of that and focus on the disruption potential. So I think that's how they would look at that. Even if oil went to 110, that would not be their thought. It would be much more about what does this mean for supply chains? What does this mean for disruptions? And I think they would have to talk you know, much more dovish and potentially do something to put some liquidity into the markets because it would probably be a pretty big risk-off event. 
Interesting. So it's like for risk assets, for everyone in crypto, you'll be looking at, at tomorrow's big day and, and uh, you know, obviously pu- putting uh, putting any emotions, any 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 empathy aside, if there's a, if it becomes a regional conflict, that's a good thing when it comes to to risk assets. Again, I'm I'm, I'm just, just not sure purely from a financial perspective. As a risk asset right now. Yes, yeah, Scott. Would you would you imagine um, a decoupling between Bitcoin it's and crypto? It's decoupled. It's yeah, Simon. No, Bitcoin I, I and crypto. Because it is decoupled. It's historically from decoupled. crypto. From yeah, crypto. Bitcoin and crypto. I mean. Oh yeah, but yeah, of course. I mean, we listen. And whether even even if you just believe in the cycles and believe that everything else outside of it is nonsense, during these parts of the cycle, Bitcoin dominates. Dominance goes up, and then eventually, you know, it stabilizes at some much higher price. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't decouple. It doesn't decouple though. It just it, the correlation. It, the correlation is 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 not not as 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 it would be in a bull market. But it, it would right. totally the decouple. The goes on between altcoins and Bitcoin. People FOMO into Bitcoin. The dominance goes higher, and then eventually, you know, they, they come back. But uh, as far as decoupling from other markets, I think that it already has. Um, and you know, maybe we do get that if there's a massive bad black swan, you get a temporary dip in Bitcoin. But for now, I, I think that uh, it's starting to be viewed as a hedge. It has a different narrative. It's still extremely small and nascent. There's not much float. If there's still demand by institutions looking at the ETF, it's a simple issue of supply and demand. Bitcoin doesn't have to follow everything else because it has unique properties as its own market, and and, uh, and I believe it can uh, rise even in the face of that. And Honestly, maybe people will view it as a hedge. You know who else? You know who does? Sailor, Sailor. right? <laughs> We've got what a nice pivot. Title. Smart move. That was well played. That was smooth. Bitcoin, I, mean, right? I, mean, I mean, you laugh, but the guy's $866 million in profit, which if I'm not yeah. mistaken, is the more money than MicroStrategy has made in its entire existence. That's right. 29586 per coin is his cost basis. We're currently trading about 20% above that. And he owns 158,400 Bitcoin. Not bad, buddy. Go ahead, Bill. So I'm curious, uh, as a segue from uh, Simon's question about the decoupling, what you guys thought of Arthur Hayes' comment about, uh, about Solana. He said he was buying Solana even though it was L1 dog shit uh, because the price is going up. So well, I, I think, think it's, I think a trader, but yeah, I think yeah. I think that's great that he's buying Solana. I think a lot of people are starting to get the Solana uh, um, FOMO. Um, Bill, I've been close to the ground here, and I've been to enough conferences to not allow a conference to get me excited because you know I've I've done this shit many many times. I've been to many many conferences, so I know how to tell the hype bullshit from the real building and and stuff like that, and. I can tell you that leaving this conference, I don't see how any blockchain competes with Solana as a layer one. I see how um, a, a blockchain can compete with Solana as a layer two, as a layer one settlement for a whole lot of layer twos. That, that's easy. That I can see how Ethereum wins hands down. But I don't see how any blockchain that is currently available beats Solana when you add Firedance onto it. I just, so, I, I just simply can't see it. And so yeah. for me, so I'll for give me, you the character to that. If you want, well, go ahead. Finish your point if you want, but uh, I can give you yeah, the counter. Cool. I, I, I want to hear it. I tell you, for me, the way I see it, if we are going going into a cycle now where ETH, where we let's say we make an assumption that ETH three X's from here, just or you know, if we go into another bull cycle and ETH three X's from here, um, and let's say that Solana gets to seventy five percent of where ETH is now, there's still another ten X left in Solana. So I don't know. I think that uh, yeah. I just I can't find the counter. Which if you've got the so, counter, I want to no, hear well, it, and I've really got an open mind. I'm stretching because I own Solana and I've asked myself the question, okay, what if it is successful, right? If it solves the holy trinity of, of the Bitcoin blockchain wars, which is, you know, scalability, security, um, you know, and speed. And, and speed, right? If it solves the holy trinity, which is what you're talking about, then, you know, it'll, it'll morph from being 5% of my bag to probably 50%, right? But if it doesn't happen, it's going to zero, right? So, so that's the bet because... They've put a stake in the ground around that narrative, and they're basically handing cash out to the ecosystem to support that narrative. So they're all in. But wait, no, hold on, hold no, on, hold on. A yeah, few things, a few things. Number one, I think that it's, it's look, I, I'm not going to say it can't go to zero, but I think it's at that point now where it's almost impossible. I'm not going to say impossible, but it's got the network effect where there's just too many people building too many things and too much money going into it that it's going to go to zero. 
then I don't think that they're handing out money anymore. I don't think that they have a lot of money to hand out anymore. Remember that the token price took a big thing. Their 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 um their runway and their and their um uh, uh what's it called their foundation took a, a a big knock. Um, so I don't think that they're handing out money. I think that the money that's coming in here is is actual VC money and people money and uh, and and builders and stuff like that. So I don't think that this is like I think that this is beyond. There's no hype here anymore. I can tell you, if anything, what FTX did was kill the hype. And even when I went to DevCon now, there were no retail investors here. There was no talk about anything retail-centric. Uh, in fact, I'd go as far as to say that probably 80% of retail probably wouldn't be able to understand anything that was going on at this conference because that's how technical it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it stopped short of being a DevCon. It wasn't a DevCon. It was it was very much a, a, conf- a, a conference and not a developer conference. But yeah. But 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 the, the the nature of of what they have here is is completely is is completely different. Yep. Yeah. No. Actually, with you. That's why I own it. But but I just to make it interesting. I do think that um, there are very few. I mean, still most venture monies in the U.S. I don't know any U.S. VCs outside of maybe Electric that are and 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 of course um, Multicoin that are that are doing any meaningful amount of investing in Solana right now. Somebody is. To your point, I just don't know who it is. Um, or, or a lot of these projects are self-funded or Solana still is investing in these projects. But it's clear that they're winning developer mindshare at a very, very rapid rate. You know, as, you know, as I it, interviewed good. I interviewed devs, but, but I interviewed the devs. And I, I said to them, guys, why are you building on Solana? And I, and I parted them. I said, but you can do the same thing on ETH Layer 2. And they said, you cannot, do, you cannot build the type of stuff that we want to build on a Layer 2. It's too clunky. You have to bridge stuff from the one side to the other side. You have to get it off. It doesn't work. You, if you want to build a proper consumer application, you have to build it on a layer one. And if you're going to build it on a layer one, today, Solana is your best bet. I think that that's, I almost want to say that's undisputed if you're talking about layer one. And that's before they actually launch Firedancer, which which is going to make Solana much, 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 much quicker. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I came here not expecting a lot and I'm leaving here so super bullish that it's like, like this is it. Uh, yeah, I have a good, general, another question. I totally agree with you. I'm just, I, I try to look at it from all perspectives, but I kind of come to the same conclusion. Uh, I just like to think about why it could fail. And, you know, um, I would not discount Ethereum at this point for sure. But, um, you know, I, I think Solana clearly has the momentum. Yeah, let's just look at the, at the options here. So you can go, if you, if you were looking for, for an L1, you could go to Aptos or Sui, but they don't have a developer community. You don't have you don't have any of that. They don't, they don't have any of that, and there's very little money that have, that's gone into building any kind of tooling and stuff like that into those chains. I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying you can do that. That that's clearly an option. Um, you can go onto Cardano. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think that I've got a little bit of an issue with the speed at which Cardano has been delivering. I know they keep saying you know we're doing it properly and we're doing you know we're getting peer reviews and stuff like that. But as an investor, personally, I kind of I believe that teams that can't ship quickly are probably not teams that I want to be backing. And it's not nothing personal against Charles or Karen. I just, for me, I just prefer teams that can ship faster. Um, The thing I like about Solana is that they never refer to mission critical applications as the go-to-market strategy for the ecosystem. And and, and obviously Solana is not a company in and of itself. It's a, it's a, it's a protocol, but, but the narrative there was around gaming first, which I really liked because you can move fast and break things, which they did, obviously, because Solana had significant downtime during the last, you know, during its initial phases. And it was games that suffered for the most part, um, or just, you know, L1 movement of Solana that suffered. And, and I think, uh, you know, relative to the alternative, which is, you know, massive DeFi ecosystem, which we don't want in Solana, you know, during its early days, was, was brilliant. And I hope we see more of that during the initial kind of rollout of uh, Rent. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah, sorry. I think there's a pretty gaping hole, a pretty large, uh, large gap between it solves the trilemma and it's going to zero. I mean, it, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, it feels to me like you can have quite a bit of success without fully charging the trilemma, uh, solving the trilemma, and that people who truly care about decentralization uh, or security or whichever part of that trilemma can find another chain where, where they're passionate about and that maybe a lot of these you know other the chains that don't is, solve it are fast enough and good but, enough but for what certain problem, use cases. Got, but what problem does it solve versus Ethereum in that 
question. I agree with you, by the way. Speed. Yeah. Speed. Speed. I mean, there's a lot of people, listen, you know, Ethereum require, and listen, I'm not making a case for anything for all those who are going to, you know, start sending the tweets, but that, Ethereum layer twos have their own problems. And even in conversations I've had with Sandeep about Polygon, we now it's like become our inside running joke that we'll be at layer fives and layer sixes when Ethereum finally reaches scale. If even without solving the full trilemma, if Solana can just be that fast, right? I mean, I think that that makes it uh, superior for certain applications and certain developers to well, Ethereum, hold which on. we know is hold lower on. and expensive. Hold on, it's solving speed. There's no doubt that it's today the fastest layer one blockchain at the cheapest cost. So it's solving speed. In terms of decentralization and security, so remember that Solana is still in beta and there's one step where Anatoly says, we'll get Solana off beta. And that is when they have a second validator client, which is not the one that was built by the Solana Foundation or the, or the devs. Then Solana will be officially off beta and into the... Um, and into the into what what he what he what he called mainnet, right? So um, uh, uh, that is happening right now with Firedancer, and he reckons within six months to twelve months they'll be running a full node. And once they are running a node, then that is the the official Solana mainnet, and the, uh, Solana being officially decentralized in all aspects, not only in terms of where their validators are. And you know when that happens, you've got a very fast, very cheap decentralized chain and yeah. <laughs> i just don't see how anybody else competes to be honest not not i'm not saying it'll never happen i'm just saying yeah that i don't see how anybody else competes and i also think that by the time we do get a viable competitor it may be too late exactly like it was for bitcoin like by the time we, we started getting competitors for bitcoin bitcoin had such a network effect that it was almost like like um uh, uh, it was almost like too late to try and compete with it you know you wouldn't try and compete with bitcoin to be the the store of value there's just no point yeah it would almost you can almost make the case that it would be better for ethereum if it didn't have you know hundreds of billions of dollars of mission critical applications like stable coins running on it right now because it would probably enable them to move faster but they're in a bit of a quandary right now because we're so dependent upon the the stability of ethereum for all these stable coins that they can't take any risks at all and nor would we want them to at this point. And that, that is Solana's opportunity, in my opinion. But I do, yeah. Go ahead, I go ahead Scott. I was yeah. going to say, but I think there's people who will continue to value that. Of right? course, and, I yeah. do. So yeah. That, yeah, yeah. And that, that's why I think that the multiple ones can win depending on the priority of the developer or the project that's happening. Yep. Yep, totally. But, I, agree. I mean, yeah, but to your point, also, I mean, if we, if we take that a step further, we do know that even though it's mission critical and Tether and all of these are largely built on Ethereum, where do most people in the world send their USDT? What chain? Yeah, Ethereum. I mean, Tron. No, well, the that's true. Tron. Yeah, that's true. Right. That's, and I was going to say, yes. so, so yeah, right. it, it's clear that when it comes to your average person, they just want the fastest and lowest fee. If you're in 100%. Venezuela right now and you want to send Tether from one person to another, you're not going to use Ethereum and pay $3 if you can pay $0.03. Cents. And you don't care what Tron is or, or how it happened. You just care that it got there. If Solana can replace that in a, in a, with a chain that people actually like better and, and works better, they're going to take a lot of the market share. Even for but, but there points. is also a feeling and a perception when people use Tron that it does work. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can say whatever you want about the platform, the technology, the people who created it, whatever. But there is a, a, an overall market perception that it just, it just works, at least for that. It does. It does. Can I can I ask you a quick question? A completely unrelated. I've just been waiting, and I'm not going to wait forever. Um, the, the, and I've asked this question yesterday as well. And Ryan, I wanted to ask you that question, and then Bill, because you guys had a back and forth. How is the sentiment like? I think Scott, you mentioned it yesterday that projects that weren't raising before um, have started closing their rounds. Um, I think Scott, you were paraphrasing what Ryan told you the day before. Ryan, how was the sentiment like at the event and Bill as well, and everyone on stage, everyone that's dealing with projects, talking to um, to, to, to to investors and VCs? Are we seeing that the, the the sentiment trickle down to VCs and projects raising money? Can I make a really quick comment uh, to add to that just before they answer the question? I like that. Actually, I've been I've been once again looking at some like projects that have been launching of late, and we saw this sort of barren desert of nobody being willing to even launch a token. There have been a couple of late, I know token site was one, I think one Amino launched yesterday, 
that actually have kind of, you know, gone up initially and stayed relatively steady as opposed to just being the classic pump and dump pattern you would expect. But forget even the price action. I think the narrative that people are saying, hey, this market is now good enough to launch this thing we've been waiting for, says a lot. I love how everyone's giving feedback as well. Yeah, no, Mario. What's the, I get an I get an emoji, I get an emoji from Bill. Silence from Ryan. Love it, guys. Appreciate. No, the, I mean, I, I, said, I said it to I said it to you the other day. I think people are starting to get their confidence back. I don't. I mean, I don't think that VC is in full bull yet. I think that that crypto listed markets are certainly in full bull. I think VCs are a little bit more cautious. Uh, I think Andreessen is about to raise another fund or is raising another fund, which is three point five billion. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> I, I don't think that's all the sentiments going to come back on the first day. Like that's not what I, what I expected, but certainly things are heating up and people are starting to open their wallets up a little bit more. You know, Mario, a lot of the, a lot of the VCs, what you got to think about is that they are, a lot of them have money in Bitcoin and, you know, we went over the, the realized price of Bitcoin, which means that most people were actually in profit when we went over like 27,000 or 20, I don't know the exact number, but, as soon as we went over 27,000, we were in, most people were in profit. And because mo most people landed up in profit, it gives you more confidence to start spending. And that's, that's effectively, effectively where we're at. So like, there is a much bigger appetite now to be spending. Simon? Yeah. Um, of the, of all the companies, I mean, I've got about 80, 89, I think, equity in my portfolio that, that survived. Um, I think the last six funding rounds were all down rounds. Um, so that was as an extreme as a 75% reduction in valuation to about a 25% reduction in valuation to companies going bust. Um, I do think a, 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 a chunk of money went into actually, um, well, distress. Um, so most, uh, most of the VCs were looking to, you know, cap capture those types of um, distress and, the FTX bankruptcy is actually a really interesting one because how, mu how much of the Solana supply does um, does John Ray control now? Does anyone know? I don't know what 90, the percent, 10%? 98. 98.9%. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'd heard, I, I, please, people don't quote me, but it's somewhere, I think, 5, five to 10%. I mean, this move up is, we were talking about yesterday, it's massive for creditors if it sustains. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I've seen the receivables go from like twenty cents on the dollar to at least fifty cents on the dollar um, in the past few weeks. So and within more faith, they can get completely whole. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so for the patient investor, looking at it. Yeah, for the patient investor, you can get an FTX claim for about fifty cents. A bunch of it is private equity. There's a there's a bit of real estate in there. Um, but you know, before the Solana pump, I think it was at a ninety percent recovery including the private equity because of the ai investments and stuff um but now with the solana pump um it's going to actually be interesting because um with the mount gox bankruptcy uh, mark capellis had to fight for creditors because they were going to just dump all the bitcoin and pay everyone off um so in bitcoin value they got about a 10 percent recovery but in dollar um value it's going to be like a 10x recovery um, and so you could you could see a similar thing here where if Solana goes up too much and if sufficient liquidity is there, then FTX could dump a bag, pay off all creditors, have 100 percent. And then interestingly, the next in line after creditors would be the government. So the government could end up um, one of the largest uh, bag holders of the because there's about two to three year time lock coins as well. Cool. Um, Scott, I think that's, uh, I don't have any other questions. Yeah, same. I, um, I'm just, I'm so happy for it. I was researching, I was trying to research, I was trying to research how much of the Solana supply FTX had. Yeah, um, I'm just happy for I, FTX creditors. I, I say it every time, but being a creditor of the other ones at bad timing, I think Voyager sold off their Solana at like 12 bucks or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Block, BlockFi was the worst. BlockFi sold all their Bitcoin at the bottom of the market for dollars, put it all in Silicon Valley Bank. Um, oh, and, shit. And, oh, yes. and it had to deal with um, FTX. It, and then FTX sued them for $450 million or something. So by the way, uh, have, do you know when the decision will be made regarding uh, Sam? 
Because there's a closing argument being made. I'm not sure anyone about Simon's following. I think it's today. What do I mean? Today, today the decision will, be, will today the decision will come out on, on how many years in jail? No. Oh, don't I, think I, I don't know if uh, the sentence. I, I think no, that no, does the happen this week. Someone said, and probably Scott, so I'll dismiss it. But if it's not Scott, then then it's important. Someone <laughs> said that it's the this the, the decision will be the, the sentencing will be like a, before the end of the year. It was one of the I think it was a lawyer. Oh, right. um, Scott, do you know when it will be? Do you remember? If we discussed it once in a space. Do you remember? Well, since I am a lawyer um, and you complimented <laughs> no. me so highly, had, then had, yourself, and to, even if I knew, so, I wouldn't tell you. Oh, well, we have 5,000 people, but yeah, let him suffer as well. Uh, let me see when SPF sentencing is. Anyone does let us know, know the, the answer. I don't know the answer, um, but I know that you know, we'll find out if he's guilty. Is, is anybody else watching this market crash? Are you being serious? Bitcoin's gone from 35.5 to 34.7. It's a terrible crash. Dang, Bitcoin crashes to prices not seen since yesterday. (laughs) 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 Oh, that was a nice jab. Breaking. Mario (laughs) Nafo breaking just in. (laughs) Yeah, I put my alarm bells just breaking, breaking. I have like a code. If I put one alarm bell, it's like normal, breaking, but normal. If I put just in, it means not that important. Breaking means important. Breaking with two alarm bells means like that happens like maybe once every day or two or three. That means like shit is going down. That means it's very serious. Breaking means it's already broken. It's super broken. Um, just uh, quickly on um, a final thing I want to ask the audience because I know we ask all the time your thoughts on, on how many years Sam will, will spend in jail let us know in the comments We've, we're doing a bet behind the scenes um, if you put it in the years if actually you know what we'll, we'll do give away a prize we'll give away RAND tokens um, a bunch of RAND 500 RAND tokens to the person who gets the exact <laughs> sentence the exact sentence right the, the correct sentence um, by the way RAND has there been I've been in my war world. Has there been anything new with the show, the Killer Whales show? I haven't even spoken. No, I've seen I've seen some trailers in that published, but I haven't actually seen any any real real news. They should launch it now. You were the, no, it's Rand, launching... you were the star of Wendy's trailer. I saw it yesterday. You argued. I didn't actually Wendy see. Up. I didn't actually see it. I got a lot of comments about it. I actually haven't seen it. I, I was. Oh, you know, that I've was been... one part. Yeah, you guys went off at each other once. Oh, you, we went off at each other eighty. We went off at each other eighty times. That was just the ones that they maybe showed. But I mean, no, that was uh, yeah, yeah, that was there, one that. Not, yeah, one was was like it was genuine shit. Like yeah, Mario, you're Rand the is, one who told me. You're the one who told me that he said to the he literally turned to the people who were pitching right and said, "Guys, he's never going to understand this." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something it was. It, it was. Like it was I'm not. I'm not criticizing Wendy. I'm just saying now oh, that seems cold. It was the best. It was, that was, it was my favorite part of the show. Like, cause I was stressed because of what I was going through. And then that part just made me relax. I was like, just watching Ran and, and Wendy go off at each other. Scott, and man, that's- Scott, you know, I don't have, uh, if there's one quality, I have a lot of, co- of qualities, but one quality that I really don't have is patience. I, I don't do patience very well. Uh, you're so and, annoying um, with that. So annoying. And it's true for everyone listening. So fucking annoying. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, um, I just didn't have the patience. For, yeah. for what happened there. Yeah, it was, it was very entertaining. I can't wait to see that show. I can't wait. No, but there's a lot of yeah. things that behind the scenes that I hope they put the behind the scenes because there's a lot of heated things behind the scenes that, that, we, that they missed. By the way, Ryan, one other thing, I don't know if you know, we have and probably end the show there, the mics that we're wearing, I don't know what you're saying, no private calls at the time, but those mics are on 24-7, <laughs> just FYI. So I don't oh know God, how much of the recordings. <laughs> yeah, so no, 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 I don't know if you called your wife or something. Mario, I know I've, I've done enough TV in my life to know that you've got to switch your mic off, bro. I've done that. Oh, I've, done, I've, yeah. done, I've, done, I've done enough TV in my life to, to, to know that. I've, yeah. I've, been caught out, I've been caught out many times, including... including um, the worst situation you can think of, and I'm not going to. I'm going to tell you what it is, but the worst situation. I'm calling you after the show. I'm calling you after the show. Shit, man! Don't 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 put him in the situation. It's recorded, and there's five thousand people. What do you mean? Tell us. He fucked up once. I fuck up again. Do it again. Right? Say it again. <laughs> no. Yeah, we'll call him privately. Um, no, well, call me after the show. Call me after. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll let yeah, we'll let everyone go. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.